Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of God's Little Hummingbird, the podcast where we are reading through the Bible from the beginning to the end, chapter by chapter, using the original language as a guide. Today we are in Exodus chapter 28, and we are reading from the New King James Version Bible, which if you don't have that, you can go online or download the app, Blue Letter Bible, Bible Hub, any of those things will have that Bible for free. And without any further ado, let's begin. Now take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may may minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Now I want to point out here the word for he may minister to me as priest is lechahano and is the has the root word kahan or kohen. Now remember in Hebrew that same shoresh word can become an adjective, a verb, a noun. And here is used in the verb is as a verb that he may minister to me as priest. But when we talk about a priest in the Hebrew language, we the high priest Aaron's sons. Well, actually, any of the priests, they're called Kohen, but Aaron's sons are the high priests, and they are, um, they're referred to as Kohen. And so I just thought that was interesting. I just wanted to point out that this verb, they minister to me as priests, is actually the Kohenel. It has that root word in there, that they may basically serve as priests. So I love that. If you want to know the meaning, so like the word Aaron means light bringer. Nadab, Nadab means generous. Abihu or Avihu means he is my father. The B and the V are interchangeable often because it's the same letter in Hebrew. And with a dot, it's a B as in boy. Without a dot, it's a V as in violin. And so sometimes you will see people say (laughs) the same word with either a B or a V. And then we also have the word Ithmar, which means close to palms. So just interesting little side note. Verse two, and you shall make a you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. So the word holy there's kadosh kadesh is the same root, means to be set apart or different from consecrated or basically just um, yeah like sacred. Verse three, so you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. The word spirit there is ruach. And it means wind. <laughs> so the spirit is wind. Thus, when we think about in the book of Acts, when the disciples were meeting on the feast of Shavuot, and the Holy Spirit descended on them, and they heard rushing wind, <laughs> that's because the word for wind in Hebrew is, I'm sorry, the word, for, yeah, it's the same as spirit. And so it's ruach. And so that's interesting. The next time the wind is blowing, you should be thinking about maybe what spirits are at work. And verse 4, and these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aharon, Aaron, your brother and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. They shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen. Now remember the word thread there is added in. And so they're basically going to weave garments using gold, purple, blue, scarlet, and fine linen. Remember, gold represents the king, the the top, the the best you can get. Blue is purity and loyalty. Purple is royalty, not loyalty. (laughs) And scarlet is um, the blood of Yeshua, dying to yourself. It's blood. 
and fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. We've talked about that. It comes from the book of Revelation and other places. In fact, I just read it today, too. And um, where was I reading? So, um, Proverbs 31, where she talks about um, the right, the woman of God, the woman of noble character. Her home is clothed in linen. Verse 6. And they shall make the ephod of gold. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. It's that she's clothed in fine linen. Sorry. <laughs> Verse 6. And they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen artistically worked. Now, the ephod is like a vest, okay? You have layers here. You have just a plain tunic that's going to be on, against the body. Over that, you're going to have a robe. Over that, you're going to have an ephod. And on top of the ephod, you're going to have a breastplate. So there's layers of clothing here. So, verse 7, It shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges, and so it shall be joined together. So this is the vest hanging over the shoulders. And the intricately woven band of the ephod, which is on it, shall be of the same workmanship, made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. So they're, they're weaving this garment. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and six names on the other stone in order of their birth. With the work of engraver and stone, like the engravings of a signet, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold, and you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before Yahweh on his two shoulders as a memorial. So that's a beautiful picture of all of God's children being born on Aaron's shoulders. Just his the weight of him to pray for them, to lift them up, to intercede for them, and to be to bring them as a memorial. That's the same word. The root word is to remember. And Zakar is, and it's that he is asking God to remember the children of Israel. And as a kingdom of priests, we completely need to be doing that every day, begging God to remember the children of Israel, all of us, all his children. So we pray for each other. We lift each other up. We bear each other on our sh- on each other's shoulders. We lift each other up on our shoulders and we bear that burden on there. I just love that picture. Now the onyx stone, the onyx stone, sometimes, you know, when they listed stones in Hebrew, they weren't always exactly sure what it was, but the onyx stone can be black or it can be in multiple colors. Like, so the, there's so many different onyx stones. I have a feeling here. I thought maybe the onyx stone would be one of the multicolored ones, just kind of like Joseph's coat of many colors, representing the different children of Israel, all the different colors of God's children, so to speak, that everybody's, just all the colors represent a different ones of tribes. So I don't know, but it was just a thought I had. Verse 13, you shall also make settings of gold. And of course, gold is the best, the top, it's the refinement is the perfect, perfect, perfect. So gold is the top, and that's what these are being said in the very, very best. Verse 14, and you shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings. So <laughs> on the shoulders, you have these settings, and these chains are attached to that. You shall make the breastplate of judgment, artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it of blue of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen, you shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length and a span shall be its width. Now, 
They're doubling it because inside of it is going to sit, rest the Urim and the Thummim. So they're doubling it over and then it's attaching up to the shoulders with some gold chains. Up to the, to the shoulder, the shoulders, um, stones and setting. Verse 16. I'm sorry, I just read 16, 17. And you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. And I love that because I think since they're going in order of birth, I think Levi is um, the emerald, and my family were Levites. <laughs> so I like emeralds. They're beautiful. And I thought, oh, that's neat. Um, I don't know the exact meaning of all of these stones. I have not researched it. Um, you, I'm sure some people have. I have not. What I do know is each stone represents the other a, a, a tribe, and their names are engraved on these in rows, and I love that. So for, it's beautiful, and perhaps I should de- dig a little deeper into this and figure out what each stone actually represents. But what we do know is precious stones are precious, and they're valuable, and they're rare, and they're beautiful, and that's what God views us as, and we are right over the heart of the priest, Yeshua, this priest is symbolic of Yeshua. Just remember that. Anything that we're reading, this is symbolic of the heavens, and Yeshua is our high priest. Verse 18. The second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. And the stone shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name, and they shall be according to the twelve tribes. You shall make chains for the breastplate at the end, like braided cords of pure gold. And you shall make two rings of gold for the breastplate and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. So they're attaching these chains with rings to the breastplate. Verse 24. Then you shall put the two braided chains of gold and the two rings which were on the ends of the breastplate and the other two ends of the two braided chains you shall fasten to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. You shall make, so are you getting, it's, it's <laughs> I know. Hopefully you can find a picture and diagram online of this. But so the braided chains are attached to the settings on the shoulders. And then they go to the breastplate. They're, they're hanging down to this breastplate that's over the ephod. Okay, so I'm going to read 25 again. And the other two ends of the two braided chains you shall fasten to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. You shall make two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it, which is on the inner side of the ephod. So inside of that ephod is where they're attaching this. And two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. And that could also mean like um, ingenious work, that intricately woven band. Verse 28. They shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod using a blue cord. So they're tying these rings together now with blue. Blue always symbolizes that purity, that loyalty. So that it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod, and so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before Yahweh continually. So he's to remember the names of these children of Israel. 
and bring that before the Lord, right over his heart. And if you're (laughs) this kingdom of priests, which God is raising you up as, you need to be praying for these children of Israel, cover each other, bear their burdens on your shoulders, and put them over your heart when you're praying. Intercede for all of each other, all of us. I just love that picture. And that's what Yeshua is doing for us. He is always remembering us before the Father. We are on his heart and we are on his shoulders. He's helping us bear our burdens. Beautiful. Verse 30, And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before Yahweh. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before Yahweh continually. And these are in matters like the Urim and Thummim, they would, they would bring the ephod and inquire of Yahweh and ask him questions such as, what decisions needed to be made, and then the priest would reach his hand in, and the Holy Spirit would guide his hand and give the answer through the ephod. It seems a little bit like divination, but it's not. This is by the Holy Spirit. It's not the same as what people do when they do divination by other false spirits. These are the high priests. These are anointed of Yahweh, and Yahweh, Yahweh his spirit, is leading this. Verse 31, you shall make the robe of the ephod olive blue. So right under this ephod, so the breastplate's on top of the ephod. Remember that, it's over it, in front of it, I should say. It's what you can first see when you're looking at the garments of the priest, and the ephod is kind of right behind it. Then you have this blue robe, purity, loyalty. Verse 32, there shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. It shall have a woven binding all around it. It's opening like the opening in a coat of mail so that it does not tear. And that's like, he was saying, don't just have a hole here in this garment. Make sure it's a finished edge, so to speak, okay? And this is like like a dress, so to speak. It's a a robe. (laughs) And so that's just the way to picture it. One, and it just has a hole for its head. It's just like a long t-shirt dress or something like that, but it was made of linen. Okay, verse 33. And upon its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet all around its hem, and bells of gold between them all around. So the pomegranates, what I've always understood them to, to signify is fruit and fruitfulness because there's so many seeds in a pomegranate, and it's so fruitful. And we are to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and so I think we're just, it's just that abundance, that fullness of life is what I understand it as. The blue, of course, we've talked about this again, is the loyalty, purple, the royalty, scarlet, the bloody Yeshua, the redemption, the us even dying to ourselves is putting us in, you know, because we are to walk as Messiah walked, us dying to ourselves. Now, the bells of gold specifically were used to make a sound, and, and we're going to read that here in a few verses, but it was literally so the priest didn't die. And so let's read that for a minute. Verse 34, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe all around. So again, here's a case in point. It is not forbidden to make graven images. It is forbidden to make a graven image to which you would bow down in worship. Okay, verse 35. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before Yahweh, and when he comes out that he may not die. So... (laughs) 
they would typically tie a rope onto the high priest's leg also, because there's one time a year the high priest goes into the temple, the Holy of Holies, and that is during um, the Day of Atonement, Yom HaKippurim. And on that day, the bells, you would hear the bells, Yahweh would hear the bells, and I think it, he obviously knows. I mean, he's God. He knows, but it's supposed to remember to be you know, reverent before the Lord, and so he's hearing these bells. And the people are continuing to hear the bells. And as long as you heard the bells, <laughs> you knew the high priest was alive. But if you no longer heard the bells, there was the assumption that he had possibly been stricken dead by Yahweh for maybe some sacrilegious act he did or something wicked. And so they would literally have to pull him out by the rope that, which was attached to his foot because they could not enter the Holy of Holies. And so the bells... Literally, it says, it's so the sound is heard so that he is not killed. And I think it, because it's not that God doesn't know this. God knew he, when he was coming in to the Holy of Holies. But I think it's just reminding us to, to be reverent of God and to remind him, hey, Lord, I'm going to come before you. Be, whole, be humble in his presence, so to speak, because God knows everything. Yahweh knows everything. And it wasn't like he didn't know when Aaron or Aaron's sons were going to go into the holy place, but it was to teach them this reverence and to be respectful. Like, okay, I'm coming now, Lord. <laughs> Here's the bells. Do you hear the sound? Do you hear the sound? I'm coming. Re- remember this. So put your glory there. Put that cloud there so that I don't die in your presence. And I think it's these little things that are just to remind us that we are not worthy of his presence. And he wants us to understand how holy he is and he wants us to understand the value of his saving us. And he needs us, we need to be humble and broken before him. That's, that's, on, that's you know, all throughout scripture, but he says that's the one on whom he looks, is him who has a humble, broken, contrite spirit. And it says in Ezekiel, we, we will actually loathe ourselves for our sin. And that's what he wants. Not that he wants to punish us or not that he's trying to put us down, but we need to understand our place. He is God. We are not we don't deserve this life. We don't deserve eternal life. But he made a great sacrifice because of his love for us. And he needs us to have that fear. Sadly, in America now, we have taken that away. And we have lost the reverence for our elders. We don't teach our children that reverence anymore. There used to be a saying, you know, children were seen and not heard. And, and the adults were the ones who were to speak. There was a sort of reverence, and I know people don't like it nowadays, but if you, <laughs> there's a reality that we have become irreverent to the elders, and we have actually honored our children above the elders, and that's not biblical. And so I, I, I just have to tell the truth, right? It's not that we don't love children. Oh my gosh, I love children, and God loves children, and Yeshua specifically says don't forbid them to come to him. But they need to learn their place. They need to learn they can't speak back to their parents. They need to learn they can't sass, that they can't disrespect and can't disobey. And some of you may not like to hear this, but women need to make sure we don't speak irreverently to our husbands, who is the head of us. And husbands are to speak lovingly and kind to the wife. And all of us are to speak reverently to the leaders, the rulers, and whatnot. We have lost that in America with the way we have made everybody <laughs> feel like they have to be heard in a way that they're 
yes, everybody matters, but God wants us to understand the place. And and you're going to see some stories in here where people like spoke out against Moses and they were killed. And it's not that Moses was to be worshiped, but they didn't understand their place. The Bible even talks about it, how people will speak, you know, irreverently to the priest. Whereas not, we're not supposed to. You see Paul, you see Paul when he um, was speaking to the high priest and he literally recants his words and says, oh my gosh, I didn't realize you were the high priest. Okay, I'm sorry, I should not speak to you like that because we're not to speak irreverently to those who are placed in certain positions. Whether we like it or not, we need to get back there and guess what? When Yeshua returns, we will get back there. Okay, verse 36. You shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holiness to Yahweh. So this is going to be on the turban, on the headpiece, and it basically is saying that he's holy or chadosh, set apart to Yahweh. And you, verse 37, and you shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aharon's forehead that Aaron or Aharon may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before Yahweh. So <laughs> this is interesting. If the holy things aren't treated properly, it's going to be the guilt of Aaron. And basically, here, like that, it's like a tag on him saying he's holy to Yahweh. <laughs> and then all of those things in his charge, everything that he's in charge of, he needs to treat respectful and holy and because he has this kind of like this stamp on his fore on the turban, then they're going to be accepted by Yahweh because he's handling them correctly. Verse 39. You shall skillfully weave the tunic of the fine linen thread. You shall make the turban of fine linen, and you shall make the sash of woven linen. So this is the actual robe that's right next to his body. So not the robe, I should say. This is the actual tunic. The, a tunic is more like a long dress, so to speak. It's not a dress. In, these are not cross-dressers. It's just what they wore. Verse 40, for Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics and you shall make sashes for them and you shall make hats for them or turbans for glory and beauty. Now remember, the linen again, we're told through scripture many places, but in particular Revelation, linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Verse 41, so you shall put them on Aharon, Aaron, and your brother and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them or basically like smear them, consecrate them. And this is where it means to, to fill his hand and sanctify them, or set them apart as holy, that they may minister to me as priests. And the filling the hand there, because the word consecrate there means to to fill the hand, I think it means to fill up with this responsibility, to give them this duty to put these deeds within their hand. Verse 42, And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. So under their um, robe, or under their tunic, they have these bloomers, so to speak, these trousers, like pants. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. So I guess they're more like shorts. They shall be on Aaron and his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting or when they go near the altar to minister in the holy place that they do not incur iniquity and die because that if they showed their nakedness, that would be irreverent, disrespectful, and they could die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. Do you notice this says it's a statute forever, not just until the time of the Messiah. It's forever. And if you start reading Ezekiel 40 to the end, and you read about the Messiah's return, you will see that these sons of Aaron are still in place. Now, both offices are reconciled in Yeshua. He will be both 
He will he can serve as high priest and prince, it says, as, as king. But there are also the Levites and the sons of Aaron, and in particular the sons of Zadok, who will have charge of the offerings and and some of those, quote, barbecued items, right? The, the sacrifices. Okay, so I have a little story for you if you care to listen. When I first started obeying Torah in 2001, I would, <laughs> the Lord kept telling me to consecrate myself to him and to be holy to him. And so I was trying to rest on what I thought was the Sabbath, Sunday. I thought it was Sunday. I didn't understand. And he kept telling me, you're breaking my Sabbath. You're breaking my Sabbath. Consecrate yourself. So I was really confused because I had not really read the Bible, obviously. I was in a church system that was teaching me some very strong untruths. And I was really trying to please God. (laughs) And so I kept kneeling at the base of my stairs. And I said, Father God, I will be wrong anywhere if you please show me what you mean. <laughs> I don't want to hold to my ways. I just want to follow your truth. And I just would pray that over and over and over every day. Like I would just, because he was just getting stronger and stronger, this message, every single time I would pray, I'd close my eyes and I would feel his hand on my forehead. <laughs> and he kept opening me to this verse, holiness to Yahweh. And he would touch my forehead. And I would literally hear him say, you're a Levite. And I was so confused because I did not yet understand the dispersion of the houses of Israel. I didn't, my family had not told me we were Jewish. They all knew. I didn't know because we just went to evangelical Christian church. Nobody even talked about that stuff. I knew we came over um, right before the Bolshevik Revolution. I knew my family spoke German and they had been in Prussia area. I mean, but I didn't know a lot of things. And so I'd be praying, I'd close my eyes and God was really working on me, and I was, boom, feel his for- hand on my forehead. And he was humbling me and stripping me and really just getting me out of religion and really just one-on-one with him. And so finally one day, the there was the pastor and his wife there, and we were all praying. We were just having a prayer group meeting. After we got done praying, I said, does anybody else feel God's hand on their forehead every single time they close their eyes? And they all kind of looked at me oddly, and everybody said, no. So I sat there silently, and I went through this 40-day wilderness period I was in, and at the end of it, God had taken away some really strong strongholds in my life, like he'd stripped me of, the, no, never again did I smoke. He um, was waking me up to the dangers of religion versus you know, in, in how we were supposed to just follow the Bible, even though I didn't quite understand yet. He was helping me to be a better wife. My husband was kept saying over and over, he just felt a freedom. I was being more humble and just more in my place. And the family was, of course, going to work better that way. And two weeks later, after that 40-day period of wilderness experience ended, then he had me start a 13-day fast with no food, And on day 11 is when he revealed to me that Saturday was a Sabbath. Friday night at sunset, it started. But because my fast ended on a Friday night at sunset. And nobody had ever told me that was Sabbath. And I was so confused. I kept asking the Father, why is my fast ending on a Friday night? That doesn't make any sense to me. And on day 11, after I got done teaching an English class, I walked into this Bible study the Lord had told me to go to. And this gentleman was sharing about Torah. And what he said when I first walked in was that God was calling the children of Ephraim home. 
And literally, God had been opening me to verses about, he was calling Ephraim, all this stuff about Ephraim and all these things. And and literally, it just, my whole world started to make sense within a moment, the things that God was telling me. And apparently, I must have been a little stubborn because it took me 13 days with no food to understand. <laughs> but then I still was confused about why he was touching my forehead and telling me we were Levites. But I started to obey the Torah, and literally the very night, that Friday night, I heard his voice say, this is my rest, now enter it. And I guess a little backup story, like on that Sunday, during the middle of this 13-day um, fast, <laughs> a girl at my the church I was going to at the time brought me a note and said, I don't usually do this, she said, but God told me to give you this message. And it was all about keep his Sabbath. And I was, of course, so confused because I didn't understand at that point the Sabbath had been changed by Constantine. I didn't understand that until day 11. And two other people like had been telling me to keep the Sabbath, and they had these messages for me. And one lady literally from an island country woke, walked up to me and said, God is telling me to tell you to consecrate yourself. And so <laughs> I was like in the middle of the most mind-blowing experience in my life, but I, and I could not figure out why. He kept telling me I was a Levite. And I had been a teacher. And I was a teacher, actually, at the time. So I thought, well, maybe it's just symbolic. Maybe that's where I get grafted in. Because I knew we had to be grafted in. I just I understood that enough of, of Scripture. And it just so happened three years later, I remember right, right before my Aunt Marie came up from Missouri, I was thinking, Lord, I don't think we're actually Levites. I think I'm just, you know, my family were... Israelites and they got scattered, but I don't think we're Levites and we probably just, maybe that's where we got grafted in, but I'm so thankful, Lord, because all I wanted was you anyway. And that's all I could, that would be the best inheritance ever. I don't need land. I just need you. And so anyway, I was just praising him and thanking him. And then my Aunt Marie shows up <laughs> and my mother starts talking to her about how I had done this fast. And then we had started to obey the Torah and blah, 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 keep the biblical feasts and holidays. And my Aunt Marie looks at her and says, well, and she's an older woman. She was in her 80s at the time. And she says, well, of course, we're Jewish, don't you know? And my mom is very expressive and her mouth about dropped to the floor. And she said, um, what? And she goes, Aunt Marie goes, oh yeah, we were Kohen, we were Levites. <laughs> and she had the whole family history, so they sent it to us. And then my grandma admitted that she had been called a dirty little Jew growing up and that, and my dad told me, oh yeah, Aunt Lizzie always had our family history and said we were Jewish. And so all these things that God was telling me proved to be true in that moment. And I, I was so just shocked because why hadn't my family told me, but, um, it was really exciting. And so he would open me to this verse. So I guess this chapter is very special to me because he would open me over and over and over to this Exodus 28 when I would be like, Lord, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I don't understand why you're touching my forehead. Like, thank you for touching my forehead. <laughs> but what does it mean? And I would just open here, holiness to the Yahweh. And I'm like, hmm, okay, I sh yes, I should be holy to Yahweh. <laughs> and then I would just hear him say, you're a Levite. So blah, blah, blah. If God's speaking to you, when you hear that little voice, when you hear that little nudge, don't doubt it. Just believe it's it's amazing how he is calling his children back, and I hope that story encouraged you. And yeah, if you listened, I hope I didn't waste your time. If you didn't listen, well then, guess what? You never waste time just reading the word of God. Okay, you all have a blessed night. I'm about falling asleep, 
And I love you all much. And I pray God blesses you so, so much. And that all of us just only love him and get set free in his truth.